1: Bud Light cans their VP of marketing. Another day, another ESPN personality calling somebody racist, and apparently 2006 would like its housing crisis back. All that and much more on this edition of Critical Thinking. Good Monday morning to you all. I'm Andrew Coppins. He is Pat One. You can follow me on the Twitter sphere and elsewhere at the cop and show you can follow him at the Padoni Show and you would know that if you were watching our show on rumble rumble.com backslash critical thinking rumble.com backslash critical thinking.
2: How was your wonderful weekend, Padoni? Was it wonderful? Busy. Um I don't know that I would call it wonderful, but it was very busy. Ah, okay.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. Mine, mine was a uh, shockingly busy. Um, didn't see it coming until about, um, mm, let's say 1230 on Saturday when all of a sudden everybody and everything wanted to do stuff. So it was like, whoa, what is going on? Um, but, uh, yeah, we had a good weekend, uh, despite crazy weather and craziness here in the city of Chicago, although it wasn't as crazy thanks to the weather, um, as one might've expected after last weekend, but, all of that being said, there was enough craziness to go around in this world this weekend. And I I, I have to start with this story, Pat, because this is from the who didn't see this coming category. The VP of marketing at Bud Light got, ca- excuse me, got canned this weekend. And by That's canned, I mean, uh, took a temporary leave of absence and, and is being replaced by the uh, head of marketing for Budweiser. I see what you did there, by the way. No, What, what, what did I do? Canned. Oh, you caught canned. onto the pun. Okay, good, good, good. good. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, she did get canned um, or uh, relieved or taking a temporary leave of absence so that the story goes away and then she goes away quietly into that not so good night.
2: Well I mean to to say that the uh boycott so to speak didn't work, uh you'd be wrong. It it absolutely did. Yes. Alyssa Heinerscheid, um, who by the way,
1: photos live forever, shall we say? Had a very uh, how shall we say this? Um Sorority fratty image back in her college days. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if this was authentic and like something that Bud Light really wanted to do. But this was literally... Grasping at a straw, right? And attempting to do something and seeing if it would stick, right? This is not a genuine, authentic thing that Bud Light wanted to do. It didn't want to change its image. It wanted to attempt to grow a market share in a in a group that was antithetical to its core brand, if you will. And by core brand, I mean the the core... Consumer of your product. <clears throat> I, I I mean I cannot think of another company. This okay I I can think of this Pat. Mm. This would be like Gap, going full on family values. Uh, yeah. its core, yeah. its core audience has always been, and likely will always be, what, preppy individuals, and the gay community. That's the reality. And it always has been, by the way. I would know. I worked for Gap in the 1990s. Its image was still pretty gay. But yes, yeah, I helped open up both Gap Kids and Gap in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, And um, yeah, let's just say the You got to know who the gay community was in Green Bay, Wisconsin very, very quickly um, when GAP opened. And also the um, high school students who had money, right? That was the reality of what that was. Does Mrs. Coppins know that you worked at GAP? Yes. I also worked at American Eagle. What's your problem?
2: Nothing. Just continue. Continue. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, Pat. Wow. Now, uh, all I'm saying is that it would be akin to, right? This would mm-hmm. be akin to Gap saying, um, we don't support the LGBTQ elemental p alphabet soup uh, anymore and uh, up the family values. All in an attempt to what? Diversify its portfolio of clients? This is the dumbest thing that I've ever seen on a marketing level, ever, like seriously ever from any company in the history of marketing. I I, I can't think of something dumber than what they tried to pull here. I don't know about you.
2: No, no, I can't.
1: Yeah, and, and along those lines for me, Pat, it's also the fact that uh, to your your first point, this also does what to the quote unquote boycott movement? Uh, that shows that it actually works. Yeah, this one worked, folks. This one actually worked because what is Bud Light having to do when it's entire shelf? And this happened here in Chicago this weekend for me, Pat. I went to go grab some stuff for a uh for a gathering that we were having with a couple of friends, and um I happened to go to the largest uh, liquor store here in the city. All the Bud Light was readily available. Right next to it was all the Miller Light, Coors Light, all of the other you know national brands, right? And right. they were not totally picked over, but they were less in stock, if you will, than the
2: Bud and the Bud Light. And this is a city as woke as woke can get these days. Well, and it was interesting, too, because I, I actually saw some Bud Light commercials over the weekend as well, and it's like they went back to their traditional Americana-type yeah. brand in terms of their commercials all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, like, I mean oh, Budweiser has that commercial out uh, with the Clydesdales again, and and, yeah. and uh, oh boy, oh boy, we need to get that market share back. But the, the other thing I think they're failing to realize is that some of the market share that they're losing is to Michelob Ultra, one of the other Anheuser-Busch InBev uh, ver, uh, varieties. And that's mm-hmm. because Michelob Ultra has this um, image again that it had back in the early 2000s when it first came out as the, the better tasting version of Bud Light, like Bud Light with taste to it and less calories. And it has this image with golf and kind of this more highfalutin society version of Bud Light. There, mm-hmm. So, on one hand, you're gaining market share with Michelob Ultra. And on the other hand, you're also losing market share on Bud Light. So, which one do you want it to be? And this was their attempt to regain that share. And it fell flat on its freaking face. Because here's the other thing that um, Bud Light miss interpreted is that this community will just take anything that anybody hands to them from a marketing perspective and run with it. That's not true. They look at the authenticity of it more now today than they would have maybe 10 years ago. They smell a marketing campaign that doesn't have any authenticity to it a mile away. As they should, by the way, in the in that LGBTQ elemental p alphabet soup community, right? Mm-hmm. They should smell it a mile away, just like the Christian community. When you're being marketed to, you should smell a rat. You should smell the spirit of the age a mile away. You really should. Are they authentic in their own value system in what they are attempting to market to you? And again. This is why boycotts, this is why having some standards and sticking to it matters. Again, do business with those again, I pointed this out on Friday, I believe, Yingling, right? The Mm -hmm. third oldest brewery and arguably one of the largest breweries in the entire country it's not available everywhere like bud light and or budweiser or, or anheuser-busch or bolson coors miller are right but what did its marketing side decide to do with all of this america's third oldest brewery for all americans and left it at that
2: that's just smart marketing Correct me if I'm wrong too, but it, Bud Light is like the largest division of Anheuser Busch, right? Like, like that's by far their biggest brand. Mm, I, I don't know about that. I think Budweiser's probably bigger than Bud Light, but uh, I'm not totally sure on that. Uh, just because, like, I, I feel like I've always seen more commercials and more marketing for Bud Light than I've seen any any of their other products. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah. Uh, that's so, why I'm I mean, asking that question. If that's true, because I don't, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Then this is an even bigger deal than than what most people realize.
1: Yeah, and according to um, Adweek, the move reportedly is part of a shakeup in which quote senior marketers are more closely connected to every aspect of our brand's activities. A spokesperson said. Oh, so you mean that they understand the core uh, brand image and audience. that consumes your product. That's kind of important as a marketer, right? It is not just pouring over data. It is actually listening to customer service calls. It's actually listening to uh, people's reactions to commercials, people's reactions to the product itself, going out and understanding how people respond to events and all that sort of stuff. It is not just gathering raw data numbers. It is also gathering, you know, the anecdotal evidence. And it's very clear that this person um, had no clue what was going on. But, but Pat, um, I want to go from somebody who doesn't have a clue to somebody who does. Because over the weekend, I got a video of um, Tucker Carlson uh, from Fox News. And um, I want to do two things. Number one, we have to talk about what he had to say. But then I also want us to talk about um, something that took place over the weekend involving Tucker in as much as um, the left has come out and said what they really believe about media. If you don't toe the line, if you don't ascribe to their entire belief system, this is, this is what they're wanting to do, Pat. AOC just came out flatly and said, we're going to demand that Fox News remove Tucker Carlson from the air. Why? Because you don't like what he has talked about? You don't like something that he said? Prove to me any time that Tucker himself has said something that is patently false, not just around the edges you could talk about the dominion voting system but that was lot, that was fox news writ large that wasn't necessarily tucker because from what i understand of that dominion voting scheme issue tucker kind of downplayed that and it was other people at fox news that were playing it up but i could be wrong on that because i just don't pay attention to fox news as much as i used to but Before we talk about AOC, before we talk about censorship in media, before we talk about some of the moves the left is attempting to make, I want you to hear what Tucker had to say when it comes to the concepts of what time it actually is in America. And I think it's vitally important to understand the paradigm shift that we have undergone in the last, I would say, 20 years. So let's play a little bit of Tucker uh, talking at the Heritage Action um, Conference, I believe, this past weekend.
0: It, it might be time to start to reassess the terms we use to, to describe what we're watching. So when I started at Heritage, the presumption was, and this is a very Anglo-American assumption, that the debates we're having are kind of rational debates about the way to get to mutually agreed-upon outcomes, right? So, like, we all want the country to be more prosperous and free and people to be less oppressed or whatever. And so we're going to argue about tax rates. And I think higher tax gets gets us there. I'm a Keynesian and you disagree, you're an Austrian or whatever. But the objective is the same. And so we write our papers and they write their papers and may the best papers win. I I, I don't think that's what we're watching now at all. I don't think we're watching a debate over how to get to the best outcome. I think that's completely wrong. And I've come to this conclusion, and I should say at the outset, I'm an Episcopalian, so don't take any theological advice from me because I don't have any. I grew up in the foul, shallowest faith tradition that's ever been invented. It's not even a Christian religion at this point. Um, I say with shame. But I'm just saying this as an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? It has nothing to do with politics. What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are we arguing for that? I don't, I, I don't think anyone could like defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government and uh, you know a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good, what are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice. Obviously, it's not about like oh, a teen, you know, a teen girl gets pregnant, and what do we do about that? And victims of rape. I, you know, I get it. I of course I understand that, and I have compassion for everyone involved. But when the Treasury Secretary stands up and says, you know what, you can do to help the economy, get an abortion. Well, you're, that's like an Aztec principle, actually. There's not a society in history. Honestly, what he's
2: describing there is the culture that we're in. Correct. And, it, and, and the reason why, like government and, and whatever have you, it's not like some sort of political policy is because this government's always downwind of culture anyway. The culture dictates the government and, and what the government's going to do and how they stand on any particular policy. So this isn't mm-hmm. politics. This is culture, period. Point blank. Amen. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: I don't disagree with you, but what he is talking about is that paradigm shift, right? Mm -hmm. That we used to be a society in which these debates happened in in a framework that the social construct, right? If you will, there was always this idea that we had a common goal um, in place, right? We always had a... We believed in the framework of the Constitution of the United States of America and in a right. Republican democratic version of our society, right? In that right. because of that, we believed that these issues, whether they were cultural in nature, whether they were policy in nature, whether they were <clears throat> um, you know, dollars and cents, right of in nature, right. That they were always done within that framework. That we always agreed upon the rules of the game, if you will. And we have long s- stood here on this show that the rules of the game are not the same anymore. That no. that we live in a a society in which the social construct, the social compact, the contract that we have signed upon in our society, by by and large, right? It's not everybody all the time, but the, the people who didn't were on the very fringe of our society for the longest time, right? You know, the, you look at the hippie movement in the 60s, right? That, By the way, the, the, that was the fringe. That wasn't the regular culture. That was not the normies, right? These people were the fringe of the fringe who got all of the attention in the 60s. But when we look at our society today, there is a growing minority. In fact, I would I would argue it is almost 50-50 that if you press them, don't believe in the social construct, in the social compact or contract of America. They believe that it is time for their viewpoints and their culture to dominate. And they believe that it is come what may, right, how, how does one side, if they believe in that social compact, fight a side that has no social compact, has no contract with uh, a culture, if you will, right? The rules of the game are win for them, not, not play by the democratic republic that we are, right? Or play by the Constitution of the United States of America, and I'm about to show you this in a second. And what Tucker is saying is that those of us who have wanted to play by the Constitution, by the social and cultural contract that we have long stood on here in America, that it is time that they wake up and realize that the other side of the debate today doesn't hold the same value system as you do. It is not that they hold a different policy position. It is that they wholly don't believe in the construct that you do. And you can't debate your way out of it. That's his message, right? His message is the the example he just gave right on the abortion issue, right? Say what? How do you debate somebody who will... Stand up there and tell you. Like a great example of this, Pat, actually was last week uh, when our um, Secretary of uh, Transportation, right? Uh, Pete Buttigieg gets on air with Al Sharpton, who is of the left, right? Gets on air with him during an interview and attempts to claim that roads are racist, literally claims roads are racist. And Al Sharpton looks at him like he has just seen a ghost. Al race hustler himself, Sharpton couldn't even come up with this hustle. Right. He literally looks at Pete Buttigieg like, dude, are you kidding me? Roads are racist. Right. So how do you, like you cannot go in and debate that, that ideology because it is antithetical to the social construct or social compact that we are supposed to have. Wait, roads are racist? How do you debate that? How, how do you debate your way from that position to the position of, we need to spend more on our infrastructure because it's crumbling? Suddenly roads need equity? What? Now, I will say this, if you are divesting of roads in certain communities and investing in only the good parts of the community, right? That's a problem. But roads inherently being racist? What? No, it turns out then that would mean your leftist policies, right? The the Democrats who hold literally every city by the balls have done that to you. What? And how do you share a country with people like that, by the way? Right. And that's what he is saying. He is saying that you have to wrap your mind around the concept that there is no debating your way out of this. This is, for me, even as a libertarian, right, who I believe, come what you want to believe, I have a value system, right? Does that mean everybody has to ascribe to my value system? No. I would prefer that, correct, as a libertarian, I would suggest that I have a value system and that that value system economically, politically, socially, religiously is the correct value system. But can I live in a world in which other value systems exist? Yeah, I can. I used to be able to debate that my value system was correct. Versus your value system. You can't do that anymore. No. You can't. So for the libertarians out there or the libertines, because I, for me, this isn't a libertarian issue. This is a libertine issue. For the libertine version of libertarians out there, do you understand what time it actually is? Because you're going to be the first ones that they run over. Okay? And then you're, and then you're also likely to be the last ones that they run over. And what do I mean by first and last? You're going to be the first ones they run over because if you hold my value system but believe in that libertine idea of somebody else, they're going to run over your value system first, okay? And then when you say, hang on a second, I've been as permissive and I believe you have the right to believe what you do, but I want the right to believe what I believe, right? Then they're just going to not only disavow your belief system they're then going to run over you for daring to believe that somebody can believe something other than their value system so you're going to get you're going to get run over and then backed over i hope you understand that if you don't understand what time it is and the time for that i'm not saying that you do not permit somebody else's value system that's not what i'm saying What I am saying is that you better be willing to fight for a society that allows for multiple value systems. You fight for a culture in which people can disagree, people can hold opposite viewpoints, but we agree on the principal matters of our secular society. This is a secular as well as non-secular issue, right? This is an issue that goes beyond religion, that goes beyond faith, that goes beyond anything. This is the entire structure, the entire apparatus. And how do I know it? Just as Tucker Carlson was giving this speech, Pat, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was going on MSNBC talking to uh, Jen Psaki, your your sister right? Your twin?
2: No. No, oh, no, no,
1: no. Your alter ego?
2: No. But no.
1: aren't all you gingers one of a... No. <laughs> anyway. No. Okay. She goes on with Pensaki says, oh, quote, we have very real issues with what is permissible on air. And we saw that with January 6th. And we saw that in the lead up to January 6th. And how we navigate questions, not just a freedom of speech, but also accountability for incitement of violence. And I want to be very clear on this. This is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, a sitting member of Congress, attempting to do what, Pat? Tell us that if you hold an opposition viewpoint to the prevailing narrative on almost any topic, it's an incitement of violence. She is attempting to equate. equate Words that are in opposition to narrative as violence. She continues saying, this is the role we have to really explore through law as well. Quote, I believe that when it comes to broadcast television like Fox News, these are subject to federal law and regulation in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence. Very clearly I what prove to me where he because if you here's here's the rub of the social contract path right when you and I hear incitement of violence what does that mean to us it has a very strict definition right? It means that you literally said go and commit violence in the name of X, Y, Z or because of ABC, right? Mm -hmm. It said go out in the streets and beat people for whatever, right? Or get in the streets or having very explicit language for a cause, for a reason, for a whatever, right? That's what you and I would believe this definition to, to be. But to AOC and the rest of the Democratic Socialists of America, because lest we forget, she is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, just like Brandon Johnson, the mayor uh, or the incoming mayor of Chicago is a member. Just like seven members of the city council here in Chicago are members of the DSA, just like Ayanna Pressley and Rashida Tlaib and a number of the far left Democrats are actually members of the DSA. this is the problem. they don't mean what we mean by incitement of violence. Yeah, you know, this is the silence is violence crowd, right? So if I don't speak up if and then if I do speak up, I better speak up correctly it, because if I don't speak up correctly, I'm not being a correct ally to whatever caused celeb of the day right And then my that's basically silence and which means that I'm committing violence. Right? This, is, this is what we mean, and this is what Tucker is talking about when he gives that example of Janet Yellen, right, the, the head of the Treasury Department, talking about how abortion is economically right. What? We, we're now talking about abortion just being a simple mathematical equation. That's what he means. When he talks about how do you have a debate with that, you can't, because we do not believe that. So they're not even talking about this from a moral perspective. They are talking about it from a dollars and cents perspective. And to them, economically, if you are poor, right, it makes economic sense for you to make sure that you have an abortion. What? What? do you understand in the audience do you understand to those who might be tuning in for the very first time what time it is this is not about this is not about if you believe in high taxes low taxes if you believe in xyz policy versus abc policy on the size of the the defense budget or whatever it, the time that we are in is Either we agree on the social compact that formed this country, or we don't. And for me, if you believe in blowing the social compact up, if you believe that the constitution shouldn't exist, or that it needs to fundamentally be altered, which really means you want to do away because this is the language of the left, right? We need to fundamentally alter. What do you mean by fundamentally alter the constitution? You mean repeal the constitution and replace the constitution. That's what you really mean. So this is the time. If you believe in a constitutional republic If you believe that our Constitution helps us form a more perfect union, not a perfect union, but a more perfect union, with the ability, by the way, to alter said Constitution to further that cause of a more perfect union, you're on my side. If you believe that the Constitution needs to be fundamentally blown up, you are not on my side. It is as simple and complicated as that, Pat.
2: Am I wrong? No. I mean, we, we live in a bizarre world. That, that is that is the world we now live in, where everything is backwards. I mean, if, if getting an abortion is supposed to help the economy, then if it, – it, which basically we're arguing for child sacrifice, as Tucker put it, to help the economy. We, we live in a very backwards world. And, and I'm about is, to show you in a little bit exactly how backwards this world really is.
1: But before we get into that, I think it is a great time, Pat, for us to go ahead and play a little bit of the B or not the B. Are you ready?
2: Oh, I'm always ready. All right. Lay that headline on me. All righty then. You won't believe this one shocking news site that is going out of business. You won't believe this one shocking news site that is going out of business. Is this the B or not the B? That is the question. While you're thinking about that, Andrew Coppins, folks, it is Monday. I don't know Monday, you all. Monday, Monday. Shut up. Um, I don't know about you all, but uh, I I spent my weekend doing yard work. My entire body is first of all sore. I'm exhausted, and like like me i'm pretty sure most other people are also exhausted from the weekend having to go back to work on a monday morning so you need that monday morning pick me up and you can do that by going to coffeebrandcoffee.com find your favorite flavor over there find a flavor that you've always wanted to try i believe andrew is still drinking the bourbon flavored coffee brand coffee
1: yeah yep 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 Yep, yep, yep. by the way uh to jeremy and the folks at coffeebrandcoffee.com um if you could kindly hit us up with a really great Hawaiian macadamia nut uh, variety of your coffee, I would greatly appreciate it. It's one of my favorite flavors of
2: coffee. Okay, we're just going to we're just going to move on from that. All you need to do folks is go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, use the promo code criticalthinking at checkout and you'll get 5% off your purchase. That's coffeebrandcoffee.com, use promo code criticalthinking at checkout. Five percent off your purchase today all right you won't believe this one shocking news site that is going out of business is this the b or not the b andrew your answer Oh, of course this is going to be not the b because i believe we're going to be talking about buzzfeed news
1: that's right buzzfeed news going out of business chapter 11 well actually almost putting the entire company of buzzfeed into chapter 11 um yeah yeah we're talking about buzzfeed right Is that your final
2: answer? Final answer. You just cost us 50 bucks. This is the Babylon Bee. Oh, you're going to hate this so much.
1: (laughs) Yes. I I already don't like you right now.
2: (laughs) You're going to hate this so much. Unbelievable. You have to check out this one major news site that went out of business this week. You'll have to read it to believe it. And a major blow to online news. Struggling BuzzFeed News will shut down the company announced this week. What? In a memo to Staffers, BuzzFeed CEO John Peretti expressed regret that the former bastion of total reliable news could not continue its relentless straight-faced charade of professional journalism any longer. <laughs> BuzzFeed News is better known for a laugh-out-loud steel dossier comedy series which brilliantly satirized what investigative journalism, election campaigns, and the political elite. Humor experts worry the loss of such comedy gem will leave the hole that many have never been that um, <clears throat> leave a hole that may never be filled. What the as hell? Sad, <laughs> as sad as we are to hear the BuzzFeed News closing its doors. This just may be our our saving grace," said Chief Serious Journalism Officer of CNN, Rube Jeffberg. We're we're hoping uh, we're hoping there are dozen, dozens of viewers migrate over to CNN to check out our great content. Peretti cl- um, clarified that the now defunct site's top performing staffers would have a chance to work under sister site HuffPost, a satire publication most well-known for its portrayal of the magical world uh, encumbered by critical thought and rationale. At publishing time, HuffPost announced mass layoffs.
1: Quick question. Uh, When was this article written?
2: This, I believe, was written on. I mean, I had it saved from last week, so April 20th.
1: A, a day later, this is exactly what happened. <laughs> they literally announced that uh, BuzzFeed News was shuttering its its uh, mm-hmm. business because it's uh, completely and wholly unprofitable and also completely and wholly uh, inadequate to, I don't know, journalism and, and that its <clears throat> quote unquote journalists will just be moved to the Huffington Post. That's literally what happened. I hate well, when I, Buzz I,
2: love, B, I hate when the Babylon Bee becomes real news. Yeah. Well, I, I I love that Babylon Bee also made fun of themselves here. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep So yep, yep, yep. It, it, yeah, that was that was that was fantastic. <sighs> so it
1: cost us fifty dollars of the uh, central bank digital currency currency of the Dominic Izzo uh, MLM yep. fund, which means yeah. um, that doesn't exist. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. Maybe our ESG score will go up by by uh, costing us money. Yeah. Now, speaking of costing you money, Pat, I, I think we have to go here. Okay. And um, some would call me crazy for having to – or having looked at the housing market and what was going on with it from 2020 to now and postulating – uh, and um putting out a a theory if you will that those in not necessarily power but those in um those companies the oligarchy if you will right the uh the black rocks the vanguards the um whatever fund or whatever llc or or company that was controlling um, Bill Gates's money on the real estate side of things had a goal in place, and that goal would be to make sure you don't own anything ever again. Right? You, you would think that like I was crazy for for postulating that. Right? Well, I'm going to go further down this rabbit hole because over the weekend on Friday, um, of course, right as all good pieces of news come out on a Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Right, Pat? That's when all of the really good stuff comes out, right? The things that are positive, great, grand, super wonderful, we need to celebrate, right? Uh,
2: Positive to who exactly?
1: Well, to those in this case who believe that you shall not own anything in the future uh, and you will eat the bugs, we, we bring you this from Newsweek at 3.48 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Biden raises costs for homebuyers with good credit to help risky borrowers. Say what? How, what are we doing here? Well, homebuyers with good credit scores will soon be facing higher mortgage fees as the Biden administration seeks to close the racial homeownership gap and get more first time and low income buyers through the door. You wonder why I said up front, Pat, that 2006 called and it wants its housing policy back. Have we learned nothing was my first response, okay? Having been in this industry for a few years now, right? Uh The housing crash, okay, And, and part of the reason why I've called that this housing crash wouldn't happen that, a, that another housing crash like or that this market had nothing to do or was nothing like the 2006, 7, eight marketplace, right? Because mm-hmm. really what began this all was a massive foreclosure spike starting in 2005, 6, going into 7 in which mortgage companies or in banks, by and large, were left holding the bag of some really bad mortgages. And then what were they doing? Packaging them all together, right? And then putting them on the market to, to buy and sell and trade, right? And then when all of those risky loans right, came to be and their foreclosure rates began to be known, they created a massive problem because when you have a ass ton of foreclosures, you have a really big problem in the housing market because now you have to tighten the loan standards, right? And what does that do? It also increases the interest rate. It stops people from borrowing money. It stops people from building homes, right? And we saw a 3 million home shortage of builds in that period and oh by the way we've added at least another three and a half million to that equation yes that's right in the last year we've added another half a million homes short so we are now about seven and a half million new home builds short and why are we short today because we've seen interest rates more than double and in some cases triple like i have a i have a, a friend here in my building whom I sold a place to, and his interest rate is under three, right? He literally was like, I would love a bigger place, but am I going to triple my my spend on my mortgage? No, not right now, right? Why would you do that? Why? That would be stupid unless you absolutely have a life change, have, a, have an event that says I need to do so, right? So this bit of news... Screams of 2006. why? Because what are they looking at Pat? What did they why did we uh, go through the housing crisis of 2006, seven, and eight? We went through it because they were attempting to give low income and make up for racial disparities. And don't get me wrong, redlining is a thing and was a thing. Mortgage companies were being racist in the 70s and 80s they absolutely were. There's no question about that. So the answer was to do what? To to attempt to give people home ownership, right? And to allow for them to get that hopefully generational wealth kickstarted, right? Because owning a home and being able to use that as an asset can build your wealth faster than almost anything else that you could possibly do. Your 6% possible return on your your 401k means bupkis until you take it out 30, 40 years down the road. But you can use your home as an asset today and 30 years down the road. You can build wealth based off of your home ownership. There's no question about that. If you see it as an investment, not just a home. But we so loosened the standards back then that we gave loans to people who had no business owning a home at that time why not because of their credit worthiness but because we knew that they didn't have the ability to pay their mortgage why because we were giving mortgages away to people who would have to use 50 60 70 percent of their entire income to pay for their mortgage that's a problem And it's still a problem for people today. So, what did we do in response to that, Pat? We created better standards based off of federal law, right? Federal law changed. We changed the standards that Fannie and Freddie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac could work with, thus, the rest of the mortgage, right? We went from a 970 something on the credit rating score to 111 today. And what does that mean? That means that we went from like literally just turning it on full board. to Anybody and everybody, everybody have a home owning party to wait a second. We have standards, right? We did that in, in our own way. To do what? Combat the housing crisis. To combat the fact that we we went way too far, way too fast, and it created literally the only only housing the only economic downturn caused by and related to housing. That was the fundamental issue that crashed banks, that crashed mortgage centers, that crashed people's incomes. Right? That crashed our entire economy. It has never happened before, and it won't happen again. Er, Wait a second. So what is going on here? Well, a new federal rule could raise the monthly mortgage payments of buyers with good credit scores by over $60 a month, while riskier borrowers will get more favorable terms because their fees will be reduced. So the thought process is what? To slow down those with good credit scores, right, from buying homes. And to allow those with more risky credit scores to get into that home buying pool. But here's the problem, Pat. This would potentially work if we are not in the situation we are currently in in the marketplace. Because what exists still to this day, even after we've seen the interest rates triple in some cases, right? At least go up two and a half times. What are we seeing? Inflation. Inflation. We are still seeing home prices while lessening, right? Mm-hmm. What we are seeing is they're all they're doing is slowing the rate of acceleration. We're not talking about actual deceleration of the, home, of the home buying market. Here in Chicago, to this day, we are still seeing about a 1.5% increase. And then if you take a look at the totality of the marketplace in the last three or four years, we're actually up. 35, 40% in the city, outside of the city, maybe 70, 80% based off of prices from 2019 to today, right? But it's not just that. It's that we still see the fundamental issue that rose home price, that raised home prices. And what do I mean by that? We have a lack of inventory, and then we have more home buyers in the marketplace than inventory. To this day, Pat, we still have less than two months of supply of housing. If you want to use that number, which I largely argue is absolute bullshit because of how it's calculated, we still are calculating for April or for May and June of last year's market in that number, which means the real number is likely under a month, by the way, a month of supply. We are likely under that. That causes what? Inflation of prices, or at least a steadying of the prices, right? Rather than the drop that likely should be occurring, we have a lack of people wanting to move from their houses. Why? Because the vast majority of people who bought homes did so in the last four years. And if you did that, your interest rate is likely under 4%. Who wants to pay 6 7% on their home? so what have you now done now what have you done you have stuck people in their homes not just based off of the interest rate that currently exists but the incentive for people to trade up or buy down or do whatever in the housing market is gone i have built you know whatever come what may if you have a good credit score what is the incentive it is doubly disincentivized right now right because either you buy your house now lock in that interest rate pay all cash right or come may 1st that's right two weeks before this rule is going into effect you you either find a house buy it put yourself under contract and get that rate locked in or you're screwed now 60 dollars a month pat on a 30-year fixed mortgage okay comes out to over $21,000 of extra costs over the course of a 30-year mortgage. That's a lot of money to add on to the backside. You don't think $60 a month means a lot? It does. Now, I also look at, at this from the perspective of what is your goal, right? If the, if, if the home that you currently are in is your forever home, does it matter that you're adding 61, or $21,000 to your cost? Yes, it does matter. But if you're looking at this from the perspective of a 5 to 7 year time frame of you being in that home, maybe it doesn't matter. But for but what we are doing is disincentivizing those who have good credit from attempting to recycle the inventory. And then we're asking and and hoping and praying that those who have lower credit scores jump into a marketplace that is inflated. So thus we are asking people who are likely either less income or more in debt, right? Thus having a smaller percentage of their income available to purchase a house correctly, by the way, right? Because we do want to avoid the issues of 2006 and six and seven. I would think, but what do we see here Pat? We see literally a an attempt to go back to the pre-2007 era. Right? On the surface, this is what we see. This is what the government is telling us. We want to go backwards. We want to make sure that 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 the quote unquote low income aka Hispanic and black population have a greater opportunity to buy into homes, which by the way, we already have this opportunity. It's called the choose to own program here in Chicago, in which the CHA, the the Chicago Housing Authority, right? Section eight, whatever you want to call it, right? They can use their voucher as a way to help them purchase a home. They still have skin in the game, by the way, but their voucher helps and thus gives them that ownership that they can use to pull themselves out of the need for that voucher. Going forward. We have that program. How many people are taking advantage of it? Not enough. That's the problem that exists. So instead of allowing that program to flourish, right? If, even if you believe that the, the the vouchers and the tax money shouldn't go to that program, I'm not even talking about that. We don't even have enough people going into that program here in Chicago to allow for, for that homeownership opportunity to help Yet, we're willing to do what? Learn no lessons? None? How is this a thing that exists? How do they think from a federal policy level? Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the Federal Housing Financial, uh, whatever it's called, uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, the FHFA, okay? They're the ones who make the rules for Fannie and Freddie, okay? How do they think? How did they come up with this idea? How do they possibly think this is a good idea? We're going to subsidize by making those who have good credit. I, I said this on Friday night. What is the incentive? If you are if you're a couple, right? If you are a husband and wife, Pat, one of you should tank. Here's how you work this. One of you should tank the shit out of your credit score. The other should do what? keep their good credit score, put the house under the name of the loan under the name of the person with the bad credit score, and voila, you have no issues. You have lowered your interest rate. And by the way, we're talking about 0.375. So if you're at 6.5%, you've almost got yourself down to a 6% rate. When you would have likely gone to close to 7 on the other side. Take your credit score while still paying your bills on the other side, on the
2: other person's dime. So not, not to go down that necessarily the conspiracy theorist route here, but we, we know what happened in, in 2006, 2007, 2008 with, with this whole crisis, right? Right. It almost looks like to me, like they're almost trying to recreate this crisis and it almost looks like it's on purpose. And
1: this is where I want to go with this because I'm critically thinking through this. What is the incentive for the government to do this? It, it cannot be that they really think that this is a way for them to gain favor within that within those communities. They can't possibly believe that. I, I because I don't. people people remember what happened to them when they foreclosed in 2006 and seven when they had those economic. Uh, crises in their own lives because they were given things that they – not that they shouldn't have been given, but that they were given a system and a setup that was always going to set them up to fail, right? Right. They were, they were given something that everybody would love to achieve, okay? I don't even think it's that. What I really think this is, Pat, is – Is their way to do what? Further tank the housing market. And guess who steps into the void? The oligarchs, right? Who steps into this void? BlackRock, Vanguard. We already see them buying up entire blocks. And in fact, I know communities down in the South, especially. I know entire communities in which they sold to these private quote-unquote LLCs that are really BlackRock and Vanguard, right? They sell to these these, uh, people at a crazy, crazy number, and BlackRock doesn't care about that number. And what ends up happening is they don't realize that there's no inventory in the places that they want to continue to live in, and oh crap, they turn around and have to rent the very house that they just sold. Thus, they own nothing anymore, right? They are stuck in an environment in which their only opportunity, their only choice for housing is somebody else's ownership. So what is going to happen down the road when these people default, when these people cannot pay for what they quote unquote own, when they go down the road of 2006 and seven? The reason I believe this exists is these are the leftists, the bureaucrats, right? In these organizations, this is the spirit of the age, if you will, the the, the far democratic socialists of America playbook. Let's crash it to the ground. And then what? We become your savior. And how do they become the savior? BlackRock is there. Vanguard is there with all of this money, right, to prop the market back up. And where are they going to prop the market up? They're going to buy out those really bad mortgages, right? That's what's going to happen. And they become the owners of these foreclosed properties. And now what? You cannot find a place to own. And in fact, Oh, wait, what we're going to do is we're going to, quote unquote, partner with BlackRock and Vanguard as a federal government, right? And we're going to make sure that you don't own these homes, but that, that you have a way for us to provide you with housing now. You will own nothing. This is what this is about, Pat. And I hate going down this road, but I can't think of another, another thing that this makes any sense towards. Like, I, I can't, like when I'm going through all of the scenarios of why, all of the scenarios of what could possibly happen, why would you do this? When we have all of the evidence from literally less than 20 years ago, 15 years ago, right? That would suggest to us, this is a terrible, no good, very bad idea. And it has nothing to do with, by the way, anybody's race, anybody's economic situation. It has to do with the simple fact that we tried this and it failed miserably to the point where it literally tanked every part of our economy. This is the game changing moment of would we or would we not have a housing crisis? And what have I always said, Pat? We, can, we will never have A 2006 or 7 housing level crisis given the current climate in the housing market because we don't have the inventory issues we had. We have the opposite inventory issues, which means an artificial inflation of prices regardless of the market until we see a slowdown in the buyer pool that is less than the amount of people selling a home, and that ain't true, it's likely two to three times the amount of people looking for homes versus selling their home right now, thus creating the opposite problem in artificially inflating it. I've always said that this current marketplace, the climate, the rules of the game, right? The rules of the game indicate that mortgage companies are unwilling to totally loosen the reins of those who are in the lower credit score categories, the risky categories. We've seen them still slightly loosening these reins over the last year. Why? Because the bet at 3%, right? At the 3% interest rate is is, is less incentivized for them, right? On the mortgage side. If I hold a mortgage at 3% from a risky person, I risk making less money than I would at 7%, right? So I can loosen the reins just a little bit, but not to the point of we're going to risk tanking the market again. But now the federal government is literally risking that, is telling the mortgage lenders out there, the banks, whomever is actually owning these mortgage-backed securities that your incentive is to now take on more and more risk in one of the riskiest markets that has ever existed. Because it is fragile. It is the opposite version of fragile. Yet here we are. I cannot think of any other possible incentive, any other reasoning as to why they would do this at this point in time other it is not about pandering it is not about looking good to one one sector of the population over another it's not about quote-unquote helping the poor it's not about well this is a racial thing because they have largely taken racial identity out of the mortgage process what this is about is absolute control. This is going to, and hear me out on this, if this rule goes into effect and stays in effect for a long period of time, for more than a year, okay, this will have the same effect as those risky mortgages in 2006 had. We will see unqualified people being qualified because of the subsidizing At the higher end. This is the most insane thing I've ever seen. And the reason that this is going to happen is for them, not just the federal government, but for them to allow some new, quote unquote, partnership in which we can't allow for you to own a home anymore. We're going to stop building new homes and Come what we have is what we have, and you're going to like it. This is as dystopian, dystopian as I have ever seen. There's no way in hell this doesn't end with the federal government in some way, shape, or form getting in to the house ownership marketplace. Because it's not just about those that are owning homes. What's the incentive for developers, Pat? Pat? What's the incentive for home builders right now? They are already struggling to get people into new homes and into developments because interest rates are so terrible. They're giving away the farm in some cases in order for people to get into homes. You know that $400,000 new build, right? Is likely maybe 35325 because of interest rates. They're eating $50,000, $75,000 on the backside of that home price, and it likely is eating 40%, 50% of the profit. So we're already killing it because of the issues that exist in the marketplace. Now we're going to further disincentivize this. Who owns property? It will eventually turn to a public-private partnership. And weird, where have we heard that before? Oh, that's right. You will eat the bugs. That's right. The World Economic Forum idea. Agenda 2023, right? We will own nothing and we're going to like it. This is what this is about. This is absolutely a move in that direction because it makes no rational, logical, reasoned sense at all. This is so dangerous. And I hope people out there understand this. This is dangerous on a level that goes beyond tanking the economy. This is dangerous on a level in which this fundamentally transforms our society.
2: Am I wrong, Pat? Am I missing something in the equation? I I feel like I opened up a can of worms with that question. Um <clears throat> no, no, because I I mean as I looked at this and thought about it, that that's mm-hmm. where my mind went is like it, it almost looks like they're trying to replicate what happened back in 2007, 2008 on purpose for this for this reason, so that yeah. way we own nothing. That way it's the government that's going to complete control. Um, we we ultimately have no wealth or value of, mm-hmm. of any individual kind anymore, um, especially if you take away property. Um, mm-hmm. and, and by and the it,
1: way, there are ways in which you can increase, you know, um, minority or low income home ownership rates, right? Mm-hmm. There are ways that you can do it. The ways in which you do it are helping them find ways to understand credit, to understand, because by and large, this this group has a lack of financial literacy, and it has nothing to do with the lack of access to credit or the lack of under, uh, ability to understand credit, right? Or the ability to understand how the financial game works. They have the ability to do so. It is that they haven't been given the tools to understand how to implement the the things that can give you good credit or help you build towards better credit and build towards savings build towards these types of things how about we take the money that would be in this program this idea right that that subsidy quote unquote right how about we how about we do this we invest in financial education more than ever before In our society. But that would do what? That would kill the reliance on federal, state, and local government assistance, right? That would kill the need for people to turn to government for their help. Government for their needs. Government for their housing. Government for food, shelter, clothing. And that would be bad for whom? The government. And with that idea, Pat, any final thoughts on this subject or any other subject? No, no, not, not really. No. Okay, then what say you to uh, end the program today?
2: Uh, don't get lost. bro who you are. No means no. And today I learned that uh, Andrew Coppens worked at The Gap and American Eagle.
1: That's because I was a cool kid. Please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547.
0: Even when we're on a budget,
1: we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.